Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Cool. I am, I was, I'm like so excited for this month. I'm not really a Christmas person. Um, <laughs> buying presents stress me out. Anyone else the same? I've done like zero shopping so far. This is like the least organized we've been in like years. Really? Okay, Beg's got it organized and I don't know what's going on. (laughs) But to make things worse for me, right, Beg's birthday is on the 29th of December. So it's like double dinghy, you know? It's like, there's no way around this. I have to go get something amazing. So it's really hard on me, so I do appreciate prayer. Um, but I am really excited for this month because of the series that we're about to start. In fact, this series has been on my heart for 10 years. This has been in there for 10 years. This is probably the longest um, time that I've stewed on, um, on, on, on a part of the Bible, on a series. And I'm really excited to share this with you. Let me just give you some context for how I discovered what we're going to be sharing about over the next few weeks. I discovered this when I was going through a season of questioning whether I wanted to trust God or not. Questioning whether God could be trusted. It, it, it was a, a season where I have always known that God loves me, but I kind of felt like God was obligated to love me. And I didn't know if God liked me. Has anyone ever been in that phase where like, sure, sure, God loves me. I don't know whether he likes me, but he loves me, sure. Oh, cool, a few people. I like the honesty in this house today. That is good. And I was in that place, I was like, does God like me? Because I don't really feel like he likes me. And uh, I started to search um, search for a, a, a way to, to know for sure that God didn't just like me, but he, that he didn't just love me, but He liked me, and that I could actually trust Him. And in that season, it was strange because I was going to Bible college, and I was listening to different podcasts, and there was like this stretch of time where I was hearing about teaching and preaching around the idea of the covenants in the Bible. Now, a covenant, just to give you a definition so we can um, get along with, with the message, is that Uh, A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. You can see that up there. We'll leave that up up there for a while. And and I was hearing teaching about the covenants, uh, the covenants that God made with normal, ordinary human beings. And um, I have read it before, and and I was going to Sunday school back in the day, and they would say a covenant basically is just a really strong promise. It's a little bit more than a pinky swear, um, and... And, and, and all that kind of stuff, but no one had ever put these together for me. And in this season, God was putting it together for me. And uh, to give you a bit of an understanding of why we're doing this, is that the covenants in the Bible form the backbone of the redemption story. The covenants build on each other. And why they build on each other is very simple, is because God is the one making these covenants. He's making these promises and He's binding Himself to fulfill them. And if God has bound Himself to fulfill them, it means that it is really important to Him. 
And because they are binding as well, it means that we know that God is going to do these things and we can then trace how God does these things. And that's why we're calling this series Jesus and the Covenants because most of the covenants we're going to look at are in the Old Testament. And these, is, these are pre-Jesus. These are pre-Christmas. And um, yet at the same time, we can see that God's plan has always been there. One teacher of the Bible says that the covenants prove to us that God pursues us. And how beautiful is that thought? God pursues us. It was in that season that I was talking about that I was searching for whether I could trust God. And I came to the covenants and I saw concrete proof that God has been pursuing me since the beginning of time. And I was like, I can trust this guy. This guy. <laughs> I can trust God. And I hope that through the series that you're going to find a newfound trust in God, a newfound relationship with God. And this is, I, I, I'm bursting to talk about it. When Josh was emceeing, I was like, come on, Josh, just get it done. <laughs> I know camp is important. I know uh, end of your party is important, but I just want to preach. You guys ready for this? Yeah, awesome. Um, just to give you a quick note, the first time the word covenant appears in the Bible is in around Genesis chapter 5 or chapter 6, and that's when God made a covenant with Noah. Uh, that is a foundational one, is important, but we are not going to focus on that one. We're going to skip that. I'm going to blog about it. You can read about it by Tuesday. That is my covenant with you. I will covenant to write a blog post on Tuesday about Noah. You can read that later this week. We're going to jump straight into Genesis chapter 15 this morning. If you've got your Bibles on your devices, or if you are like me and you've got a really cool Bible with stickers on it, it is not a picture Bible, by the way. Um, did Beck just say sure? <laughs> she knows me at home. I have this picture Bible. No, I don't. Um, but you can turn to Genesis chapter 15 with me. Before we start reading, can I just pray? Dear God, I pray that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It comes and it brings truth. It brings truth into those deep places that need it, that require it. I thank you that these words were words that moved my heart. They were words that touched me in a season where I needed, I needed to know that you loved me. So I pray for those who are questioning whether you love them or not, questioning whether you like them or not, questioning whether they can trust you. I pray that this word brings confidence in you, brings hope in you. For every person that is in a dark place, I pray that this brings light. It brings hope and it brings your peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, just to give you a bit of a context, because I think it's a bit hard for us to understand uh, the, the, the conversation that is taking place, Abraham had followed God's instructions up to this point. And Abraham had received a promise from God already that he was going to have an heir. And yet at this point in time, there was still no child. And for a person living in those times, having a child was more than just like having a wonderful bundle of joy, a wonderful addition to the family. It actually meant something so much more than that. In fact, people lived 
for their children, for their heirs. They would accumulate wealth. They would accumulate uh, uh, all resources in the hopes of being able to have a legacy to pass down to their children. The way that they pass these things down to their children was seen as the meaning and purpose of their lives. And so when Abraham was saying to God, I don't care about your blessings, God, because I have no child. And right now, I, my legacy is going to be gone because my servant is going to take all of this and he's going to set up a new legacy and I'm going to disappear from history. If you want to understand this in today's terms, it's like God saying, blessed are you because I'm going to give you lots of money. And you say, I don't care about money because right now I don't know why I'm existing. I have no purpose for which I am existing right now. And he actually says this. He says, you have given me no children. You have given me no purpose. Is anyone here in a space where you're like, I've been coming to church for a while. I've heard this God stuff and it's really cool and it's all good. But God, I still don't know what I'm living for. And I hear about all these wonderful blessings about how you love me and how your grace is for me. But why am I here? It's a pretty deep question that all of us should be asking at some point in our lives. In fact, psychologically speaking, all of us get to a point, normally around adolescence, that we're going, hey, what is this all about? In fact, psychology also says that if you don't ask those questions and you don't deal with those questions, those questions will haunt you for the rest of your life. It is a truth, a psychological truth, and we always find in the Word of God, we need to find some kind of purpose. And so Abraham comes to God. God says all this wonderful, amazing stuff, and he doesn't even really want to hear it because he's like, well, what's the point? What's the context of your blessing for my life? What is the fit for your blessing in my life? I would go so far as to say that there are some people sitting in this room that are not ac accessing the blessing of God for your life. You don't believe that your situation is going to get any better because you don't know how it all hangs together. You have no purpose that glues what God is doing in your life together. So you look at all these things and you go like, so what? Let me tell you today that God has a plan and a purpose for you. God has got something so much deeper for you. It is there for you and you can access that. Let's read on. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. This is a beautiful thing because all Abraham wanted was an heir, but what God was saying is that you will have more than just what you think you need. Are you hearing this? This is the kind of interaction God had with humanity. Some of us think that the Old Testament is full, filled with stories of a vengeful God that doesn't love the, the, His creation. They just think that God is done with humanity, right? But here we hear God speaking to one of His creation, and He says that I understand that deep need that you have for a purpose, but more than what you think you are going to get, you are going to get so much more. Let me tell you that that has always been the case for back in myself you know uh, uh, before we planted lived we we were in a place where like man just having a church would be amazing 
just to have one, you know, a church to call our own. We really feel called by God. And before we even did anything, we had a prophecy over us that you'll be leading networks and situations with lots and lots of different spheres of influence. And we're like, we just want a church, man. You get what I mean? I, I, I don't even want to comprehend more than a church because I know that you guys are hard work. I love you guys, but you guys are hard work. I'm about to lose my hair. Ernie's given me caffeine shampoo a couple of weeks ago. I think he's run out of the room. Is he even here? Oh, there he is. Ernie is the savior of my hair. I haven't tried it yet, though. So next year, if I come back from holidays and I've got new hair, it's not a transplant, it's just caffeine, apparently. But, but you know, there's that sense that even what we think would be great, God can exceed that. The amazing thing about Abraham is that he is known as the father of faith, and we see it in evidence in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. We read this again in the New Testament in, in Hebrews, where it says that Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a very significant thing, because it's a theme that runs through the Bible, what is this theme? It's a theme that our righteousness with God is never something that is earned, but is always something that comes along with faith. And what does righteousness actually mean? Quite often, I think, because we see it as right, we think that it's, it's, it's about doing everything right. It's about being pure. It's about being blameless. And while it has connotations of that, really righteousness is about being in right standing with God. And the whole theme of the Bible is about God bringing us into a place where we can stand face to face with Him. And even before Jesus, we read these words, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. I know this is setting the scene, you're kind of going, where's this whole covenant thing coming from? It will be coming in soon, but I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for you to understand that even at this point, faith was always the key Faith is always the key. Some of us are struggling to trust in God, to put our hope in God, to see that God has got more for us. And yes, there are those times, yes, I've gone through those times where I don't know if I want to believe that God's promises are going to come true. And even this year, it was like, for those who don't know, uh, in October, I was elected onto uh, the state executive and it was something that I had in my heart, but I didn't dare believe for it. Honestly, I really honestly thought there was no way I was going to get onto that exec. I looked at the roster of people that had gone up for election, and I was like, nah, that person's going to get in ahead of me. That person's going to get in ahead of me. And when they announced my name, I was genuinely, it, it wasn't pretend, but it was like, have you seen Miss Congeniality? <laughs> you know, when they read the name, it's like, <gasps> I was like, <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Oh, God, God knows what he's doing, and I'm simply trying to walk out this life with him. So Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? That's a pivotal line in this story because 
just two verses ago, we read that Abraham believed in the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. Next minute, he's, there's an addition to the promise, something even more than he was asking for. And he's like, you've tapped out my trust, God. You, you've already asked for as much faith as I have. I'm now at this place where it's like, now that's just crazy. You want me to believe in that? And so he's like, give me a sign. Give me something to know that I can truly trust you. I believe that there are some people in this place today that are at that place where you're here because you believe that God is real and you believe that God is love. But maybe you're in a place where you're asking God, God, how do I know that you're truly for me? How do I know that there is more to my life than what I already have? I believe that that's where these covenants come in because they show us that God is trustworthy, that His Word endures. So let's read on. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Trust me, guys, it's going to get really weird in the next 10 verses. It seems like God wanted a petting zoo. God is like, I'm done with you, silly human. Bring me some animals. We have a little cat. Sometimes when I'm done with people, I'm like, Mowgli, you're the only one I need. Maybe that's what was happening here. Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come up with great possessions. By the way, all of that happened is a story of the Exodus. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The Amorites were living in the land that Abraham was in at that time. God said that this will be your ancestors' land, but not yet because things are still to happen, showing us that God actually lives outside of time. He knows how things work and He's holding it all in His hands and He's putting it perfectly together. It goes on to say, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared like a Pokemon and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenazites, Kedmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. <sighs> I hope someone would do that. I was like, that? I practice that. Let's see how fast I can get through those 10 names. All right, who's confused at what's happening here? I was hell confused. Can I say that? I read that. I was like, okay. Someone had a little bit too much smoking pot. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Really weird stuff. But when you understand the cultural context, this is one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament, in my opinion. See, Abraham asked for confirmation that God was going to do what he was going to do. Yep, step one. Step two, God asked for five animals, the heifer, the goat, the ram, and the two birds. And no other instruction, right? Nothing else. Bring me those animals. Next verse, we read, Abraham brings those animals and he begins to chop them up. Yeah? It's like God wanted a petting zoo, not, not a meal. 
Or maybe he wanted the meal. What is going on? Abraham obviously knew that something was happening. The moment those five animals were mentioned by God, it obviously sparked something off in Abraham to let him know that there is something taking place right here, right now. Let me tell you what was about to take place. When God mentioned those five animals, he was saying to Abraham, I am about to cut a covenant with you. In verse 17, I believe it says, and so God made a covenant with Abraham. We have that word made a covenant in English because it makes more sense to us today. But the actual Hebrew word is to cut cut a covenant. Abraham knew that when those five animals were chosen, God wanted to cut a covenant with him, and so he proceeded to cut. He was, pre- he, he was uh, pre- uh, preparing for the ceremony by which this covenant was going to take place. Abraham knew this. That's why he immediately jumped into it. Now, he also knew something very significant about this covenant because when those, in those days, there were a couple of types of covenants. The first one was a suzerainty vessel treaty. And I don't know, big words, but all it means is that there was this big, powerful overlord and there was this little, tiny village, basically. And what would happen is that more than likely, the little village was feeling threatened, maybe by some outside source, maybe even by this nation. And so they would send envoys to this nation and say, let's make a treaty and we will become uh, bonded together. Remember, the covenant is about two parties choosing to have a relationship with one another where they have binding promises. And so uh, the, the, the bigger nation... Would, would promise, or the bigger village would promise to protect them, would promise to make sure that they don't attack them, that they will leave them alone, and uh, uh, the little village would be like, okay, cool, in that, uh, we'll give you cows and sheep and goat um, for, uh, in this amount for the rest of our days so that we will have this treaty. That was a suzerainty vessel treaty. That was one of the types of covenants that was taking place back in those days. So that was one of them. That wasn't the one that God cut with Abraham. In fact, God cut a very interesting covenant with Abraham because God cut a covenant that was meant to be between equals. God cut a covenant, chose to have a relationship with Abraham where there were these binding promises that was meant to be done between equals. That in itself should blow our minds. This was pre-Jesus, people. This was pre-the cross. This was pre-resurrection. This was pre-salvation. And yet God took things literally when he said that he credited Abraham's faith as righteousness. He was like, you are my mate. Now, they weren't equals, One was a man, one was God, one had all the power, one had no power. One existed outside of time, and one was very much bound by time. In fact, his body was deteriorating, and that's why he was so scared that he wouldn't have children. One held the power of birth in his hands, one was completely barren. This was not equal. And I think that many times in my life, when I approach my relationship with God, I sense that inequality in who we are. 
And when I think that God wants to have a relationship with me, it, it's kind of more like the first kind of treaty. Sure, God, you give me the stuff that you want to give me, and then I will give all this stuff to you. And, and because I need your protection, and I need your grace. And... But this was a covenant that was made before Jesus, where God already showed his intention toward humanity. His intention toward humanity was never to enslave us to his rule. It was always meant to be a relationship between equals. Not necessarily equals in terms of power, but in terms of how they related. How crazy is this? And so I'm guessing that for Abraham, that must have been weighing on his mind. And he's like, God wants to, God wants to cut a covenant with me that is meant to be between equals. No, no, God, God wants, God wants a relationship with me that is based on us as equals. No, God, God wants to have a relationship with me that, that I don't, don't deserve. It's, it's not meant to happen. And, Abraham had to prepare for this ceremony. And I'm guessing that cutting up a heifer, a goat, and a sheep in half is going to take quite a while. I have never done it. I don't think I'll ever get to do it. I don't know what kind of tools they had, whether they had hacksaws or whether they had little shivs that they were just like, Meh. is it getting a little bit graphic? <laughs> but I'm just imagining Abraham, as he was preparing for this ceremony that was taking a while to prepare, these thoughts would have been running through his mind. But there's something else that I believe would have been running through his mind. I've got a little picture that I would like to show you. This is an artist's rendition of what cutting, what the ceremony would have possibly looked like. I know it's a little bit graphic, but basically this is it. Abraham chops the animals in half, lays them side by side, and the guts and the blood flows down the middle, forming a pool of blood, a river of blood. It's really gross. Yeah? It is not nice. I wanted to, I ran out of time, but I really wanted to get some stuffed toys and <laughs> put this out here to graphically show you what it could be like, but completely ran out of time. So if you just indulge me and pretend that I did that. So Abraham takes these animals, chops them in half, places them side by side, and, and so there is this river of blood in between. Now what takes place next in the making of this covenant, the cutting of this covenant, is that the two parties would then have a little stroll in this river of blood. So they walk in this river of blood, and they begin to call promises out to each other as they walk in this river of blood. And the reason why they do this is because the setting shows you the severity or the seriousness by which they were going to keep this covenant. Basically, if one of them broke the promises to the other party, the other party had every right to make them like one of these sacrifices. That was literally how they cut covenants back in the day. We are now bonded to carry out the promises to each other that we've made in this river of blood. And if I do not hold up my end of the bargain, 
You chop me in half, let my blood and guts just roll like a river. Literally. So, Abraham had a couple of things to think about. He had to think about the fact that God wanted to do this equality thing with him, which was mind-blowing in those times, which God would want to treat humans as his equal. It's crazy. But then he also had to think about the fact that he was about to call promises out to God, that if he failed, that's it. So he's chopping these animals up. And I'm thinking, maybe I'll promise... Oh, what am I going to promise? I know what God's going to promise, and it's pretty cool. That's really nice, but what am I going to promise? Maybe I'll promise that um, I'll get eight hours of sleep a day. Oh, maybe that won't work. Oh, what can I promise that will be of any benefit to God? What am I going to say when the ceremony starts? So Abraham begins to chop those pieces up, put them out, lay them out. And I'm thinking through that whole time. I'm guessing it had taken a few hours at least. And he, he would have been thinking, God wants to cut a covenant with me, and I'm going to have to promise him something. I'm going to have to promise him something. What, what can I promise God? What, what do I have to offer God? He finishes preparing for the ceremony, and he sits down. And the next thing that happens is really important. It tells us that the sun was setting and Abraham fell into a deep sleep. It goes on to say though, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Letting us know that this wasn't any natural sleep. He didn't just get tired from chopping some animals up. God put him to sleep. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, which is exactly what just happened, the sun set, Abraham fell asleep with this thick and dreadful darkness. The smoking fire pot and blazing torch appeared and they represent God's presence. And so the fire pot and the torch passes between the pieces. Remember what we talked about, how does this covenant get made? They walk up and down, passing between the pieces, and they call promises out to each other. And God begins to speak about what will take place. He begins to speak out the promises of how things were going to work. And all along, Abraham is a sleeping partner in this relationship. Literally. You were meant to laugh. Maybe you guys don't get business terms. He was a sleeping partner, guys. Abraham did not pass between the pieces, guys. Abraham was asleep. He made no promises to God. In fact, God put him to sleep, and he was the only one that passed between the pieces. Some of us have a really bad picture of what God is like. Some of us are so scared of God some of us have this picture that we need to offer something to God. Some of us have this picture that God is demanding something that we do not have or that we are more than likely going to fail at. Some of us think that our relationship with God is predicated upon how much we bring to this relationship. That was never God's intention. 
And in that season where I was trying to see whether I could trust God, I realize now in hindsight that I was looking to see how much I could offer God. It was as though I was trying to say to God, God, do I have something of value enough that you wouldn't reject me? That I could bring something to this relationship so that you would need to keep me. That was what was my motivation and that was what was on the inside. I was wondering if I had anything worth giving to God. And in that moment when I read about this, I was like, so you don't care about my brokenness. So you don't care about what I'm able to bring to this relationship. You choose to speak these promises over my life and allow me to just receive Yes. And this is what God has accomplished. When Jesus went to the cross and, and He purchased salvation for each and every single one of us, He says to us that this salvation is yours and is all about faith. It's us about whether you believe that God is wanting to do this or not. And in a very similar way to this covenant that was made, that is the kind of relationship that God has with each and every single one of us. He, he, he promises us life. He promises us peace. He promises us joy. He promises us an abundance and an overflow. You know, something that God put on my heart this year is that there are so many Christians that do not know their design, that do not know their function, that do not know their worth because they're still in a place of trying to prove themselves when God is saying, these things I have given to you is a promise that I keep. It's a promise that I fulfill, not you. You're sleeping and receiving. You're in rest. You're in a place of trust. You're in a place where I am calling these over you is whether you want to receive it or not. And that's why the Bible tells us over and over again that our relationship with Him is like a father and a child. It is a child who is completely dependent on the father for everything, for security, uh, for, for affection, uh, for affirmation, for training for releasing. What does a child have to offer the father? Simply his presence. Some of us are not present at the covenant and we're not receiving what has already been promised. I sat there and I started to think about the fact that why do I act as though I don't have peace? Why do I act as though I don't have joy? Why do I act as though I don't have? Why don't I believe that God can? Why don't I not believe that God does? And that is something that we really have to deal with. See, God showed me something else about this covenant. See, when Abraham asked the question, how are you going to, how do I know that I can trust this? And Abraham and God said to Abraham, get, get me the animals. Do you notice that God didn't participate in the ceremony, in the preparing of the ceremony? Do you notice that? That stood out to me. You know, God being God, he probably could have gone, be halved. <laughs> you go there and you go there. River flows this way, guys. Next one, half. It would have taken him 
minus five seconds to prepare this scene, but Abraham had to prepare it. Abraham didn't know the conditions of this covenant, by the way. He didn't know that God was going to put him to sleep. He just heard that God was wanting to cut this covenant with him, and he probably was really attracted to the idea that God was wanting to have this real-life friendship with him between equals. And so he went about, by faith, preparing this ceremony. Now, there was another little detail in there that when he prepared it and it was done, God didn't show up immediately. No, no, Abraham sat down for a rest, and what happens, it says that the birds of the air came and started to try to get to those carcasses. Now, in the Bible, birds of the air is a very specific analogy for something. We remember this in the, in the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 15, I believe, where where it talks about that the sower was sowing seed and some of the seed fell onto the path and the birds of the air came and took it away, right? Remember that one? Jesus gave the explanation for that, saying that the birds of the air that came is the enemy that comes to steal from us. In a very similar way, when Abraham had prepared the ceremony and he was ready for God to rock up, the birds came. Here are two things for us to take note of. One of it is that some of us are not even ready to prepare for the ceremony. Some of us are not even coming to a place where we are ready to receive the covenant. And then there are a second group of us that aren't ready to protect the covenant, to protect the space for God to speak promises into our lives. And I want you to just think about it this morning. Do you go through the whole place, the whole scenario, to a place where you are positioned to receive the covenant? Are you positioning yourself to receive the covenant? God spoke to me as I was preparing for this morning that one of the biggest reasons why we don't do this is that we don't trust Him. Why don't we trust God is because of our experiences, our hurts, our wounds, our disappointments. And so for some of us, it's like God saying, get those animals because I'm going to do something. And we're like, really another thing, God? You're wanting another thing from me? God promises us peace. And it says, your peace will be found in the Word. When you have the Word, you have light. You know where you're going. It brings peace. And it's like, another thing, God? I've already done so much, and now you want me to read my Bible every day? God says, I've got wholeness for you. But you need to get into community. You need to be vulnerable. You need to confess your sins to one another. You need to, you need to do family well. It's like, Another thing, God, yet another thing. I'm wondering whether some of us don't have the assurance because we've allowed our past to dictate to us the relationships that we can have with God. As many of you know, if you were here last week, back in, no, the week before, but Beck and I are in the process of getting ready to adopt which will be in a couple of years, so don't congratulate us. It only increases the pain. No, I'm joking. 
Now, it's a long process, and, and we've started it, and we've gone for these seminars, and, and there, there was these really sad stories. Because adoption naturally means that something traumatic has happened in a child's life. And a big part of this whole journey for this child, and quite often they were talked about as six-month-olds, infants without a full-blown human capacity for thought, memories, and all of that. And they talked about these little kids. And these little kids were about to get picked up by their adoptive parents. And that would mean that they no longer have that uncertainty of being fostered or being in this uh, orphanage where conditions can sometimes be quite horrible. So in our minds, we're like, that's great. This is going to be amazing for you. You're going to have the stability. You're going to have the resource to thrive in life. This is what we are giving to you. And this six months old, they see these strangers come in the door. They are passed to these strangers, and it sets off an extended, sometimes months, sometimes years, sometimes forever, where they live with fear. And one of the real fears that they do go through, having been passed from their birth mom to this orphanage or this um, foster care, and then from the foster care to these adoptive parents, is this sense that I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be in the same place. You say that you love me, but how do I know this? My experience is that in my six months of living, I've been passed from person to person. <laughs> and some of us are living in that way with God, where God has promised great, amazing life, life to the full. And we look at our experiences, some of us 20, 30, 50 years of pain and abandonment and rejection. And we come to God and God is saying, I've got so much more for you. And it's, I don't know if you're going to stick around, God. I don't know if you're going to stick around. The honest truth is that is a decision that we have to make. The honest truth is that what we learned is that all we can do as future adoptive parents is to constantly provide a safe place, provide a routine, provide the assurances that that child's not going anywhere, that that child's going to be ours through hell, through heaven, through sick, through sin, through every situation. That's all we can do. And then it's the child's decision on whether they trust us or not. See, if God change that in you by snapping his fingers. We don't get to choose him. We become less than human. We forego our will. That's what happens. And so God leaves us with this decision about whether we want to trust him or not. And I hope, I pray this week as I was preparing that what I've shown you today is that God can be trusted. 
his decision to you his, his, is to have this relationship based on being equals, not one of coercion, not one of a power struggle, but one of equals. And then he's the one that makes the promises. I have experienced ever since that point 10 years ago that God's promises are yes and amen. They are trustworthy and they can be counted. And so often they come fulfilled when I least feel worthy. They come to me when I least feel like I'm together. And I'm in a place where it's like, if not for God, if not for God, where would I be? Now, next week, we're going to be talking about the Mosaic Covenant. We're going to be talking about the covenant that God makes with us in terms of the life that He's wanting to set us up with. He's going to also look into Jesus and, and all that Jesus did, and that's amazing. That's for next week. But right now, without a foundation of understanding that God gives unconditionally, God loves unconditionally, we can't step into the Mosaic Covenant. We are right now, right here, we need to deal with the Abrahamic Covenant. We need to understand that God gives without condition. And until you get to that place of understanding and receiving that, don't think about anything else. Understand that the cross was a gift. It wasn't something that is earned. Salvation is a gift. It's a promise that God made to us. We were sleeping when that promise was made. We just simply receive it. Some people need to go to sleep today. Some people are trying to walk on the, on the river of blood and God's like, stand back. You don't want to make that promise. You don't want to take another step because you're not going to be able to make it. Do you know the crazy thing? Genesis 16, one chapter later, Abraham stuffs up. He stuffs up big time. Imagine if he walked on that blood. Be halved. Don't walk on the blood. Go to sleep. Rest in the fact that God made his promises already and is available to you. Let's get the band up this morning. What's your relationship with God like? Seriously, what is your relationship with God like? Are you still thinking about what you can offer? Are you still thinking about your past and your experiences? Are you still thinking about you? Or have you got to a point where you understand that God is above all of that? He's above your past, He's above your experiences, He's above your wounds, He's above your pain, He's above your self-righteousness, He's above anything that you could even offer. He doesn't need any of that, but yet He still comes and He says, I love you, and so I give you. Have you received Have you received? This morning I want to talk to people who might not have ever received or maybe you've walked away from receiving the gift of salvation. If that is you, I want to take you into a prayer. I want to lead you through a prayer of faith that acknowledges Jesus as your Lord and Savior, putting you in a position to receive the promises of God. 
that that day salvation is yours. That day you don't have to worry about your eternity. You don't have to worry about where you end up. You access life and life to the fullest. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, this is a private moment. If you want to say that prayer, that prayer of faith, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I'm not good enough. I can't make it by myself, God. But I know that you, you came and you gave your life for me. I invite you in. Be my Lord and my Savior. Wash me clean. Make me new. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.